Hear now the word of the Lord from James, James chapter 3, and I'll be reading the first nine verses. My brethren, let not many of you become teachers, knowing that you shall receive a stricter judgment, for we all stumble in many things. If anyone does not stumble in word, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle the whole body. Indeed, we put bits in horses' mouths that they may obey us, and we turn their whole body. Look also at ships. Although they are so large and are driven by fierce winds, they are turned by a very small rudder wherever the pilot desires. Even so, the tongue is a little member and boasts great things. See how great a forest a little fire kindles. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature, and it is set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and creature of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no one can tame the tongue. It is an unruly evil, full of deadly poison. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for truth. And we ask you to bless your word to our hearts this morning. Help us to understand, help us to see clearly how the various passages of scripture that we're going to be looking at in James apply to our lives. And continue to grow us, Father. Build in us that character that is your son's. Build in us that character that brings glory to your name and pleases you. Give us a clear vision of what's going on in these texts that we're looking at today and what you require of us. And I pray, I pray that we would leave this place prepared to do exactly what you'd have us do. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. 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 Wow, it's hot. I come from a long line of sweaty men. I brought my sweat towel because we're going to get down to business here in God's word. And uh, I wish I would have brought sweat towels for all of you as well, as well. My goodness, you know, many of you, are, uh, many of you are familiar with that passage that I just read. All of you, unless you're under the age of five, probably, are familiar with the passage that I just read. We know that James addresses the issue of the tongue. We know that he, he, he does it in the book that bears his name. We know where to turn. We know it's in chapter three, but, but few of us probably um, know or have picked up on the fact that how we speak how we talk to one another is the theme that runs throughout this entire book. And so what we're going to do this morning is we're going to work our way through James, starting in chapter 1, and we're going to look at, at, at nine different characteristics of the untamed tongue. As, as believers, right, we want to do all things to the glory of God. We want to do all things well before his throne, and especially in how we speak, and how we speak to one another, and how we use that unruly member, as James calls it, that sits behind our teeth, right? So that's what we're going to do this morning, and I want you to turn with me back to chapter 1. We're going to start right there, so if you have your Bibles, turn with me to chapter 1, and I'm going to read to you verse 19. James says, So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. For the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Okay. So the, so the first characteristic of the untamed tongue is that it's swift to speak. And James says here that the person with the untamed tongue does exact, exactly the opposite of what the wise man does. Right? 
Because the wise man, he's, he's swift to hear and he's slow to speak. But James says that the foolish man, the man with the untamed tongue, he, uh, um, he's swift to speak, right? So he does exactly the opposite. Proverbs tells us that the fool delights in airing his own opinions. The fool delights in hearing his own voice. And that's what James is saying here, all right? Now, we might attribute the fact that we're quick to speak, we might attribute it to our own intelligence, you know, to our, our great minds, the, facts, the fact that our synapses work more quickly than our neighbors, or we understand what's going on better than our neighbor, and that's why we're the first one to offer an opinion on any given occasion, all right? But, uh, but James tells us um, that the unbridled tongue, all right, the foolish tongue, the untamed tongue, is quick to speak. Now jump with me down to verse 26 of this same chapter, James chapter 1. In verses 22 to 27, you have this famous passage of Scripture where James talks about people who are hearers of the Word, but they're not doers. They, they come to church, they sit under the teaching of the Word, they sing God's Word in the Psalms, they, they recite God's Word in the corporate recitations, and then they leave the barn, they leave the church, they leave the building, and they forget everything that they heard. You'd have no idea, based on what they're doing and what they lay their hand to, right, that they're in submission to the Word of God or that they even know what it says. So there's this famous passage there. But it's interesting to see how James weaves this subject of the tongue into this very paragraph about being hearers and not doers of the Word. James says, in, in verse 26, he says, If anyone among you thinks he is religious... And does not bridle his tongue. See, he comes back to the subject of the tongue again, having just spoken of it in verse 19. He says, if anyone among you thinks he's religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart, this one's religious religion is useless. So, uh, people who hear the word a lot eventually become quite proficient at talking it, Right? They hear the word a lot. They become really proficient at speaking it. They can speak Christianese, right? They know how to, they know how to parrot God's word, but, but they don't know how to who live it. They know how to talk the talk, but they don't know how to walk the walk, right? They talk Christianity, but they don't live Christianity. And I want you to notice here how James blends this thought in right after he says, if you're a hearer of the word and not a doer of the word, you're self-deceived. He says again in verse 26, if anyone among you thinks he's religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his own heart, this one's religion is also useless. See how he connects it? The person who speaks and doesn't bridle his tongue deceives himself in the same way that the one who's a hearer of the word and not a doer of the word deceives himself. And, and, look, and look here also at what James says about religion. There's such a thing as useless religion. Can you believe it? There's such a thing as useless Christianity. Useless Christianity is Christianity that's heard only and spoken only, according to James. So the second characteristic of an untamed tongue is that it's doctrinally sound, but it doesn't put anything into, anything into practice. It can parrot things, but these things aren't manifested out the fingers of the person who is speaking, okay? Now, the third characteristic of the untamed tongue can be found in chapter 2, right? So turn there with me if you got your Bible. Chapter 2, beginning in verse 2. For if there should come into your assembly 
a man with gold rings and fine apparel, and there should also come in a poor man in filthy clothes. And you pay attention to the one wearing the fine clothes and say to him, you sit here in a good place and say to the poor man, you stand over there or you sit here at my footstool. Have you not shown partiality among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? James tells us very clearly here that the unbridled tongue, that the untamed tongue flatters. The unbridled tongue, it flatters the wealthy, flatters the influential, flatters those who are powerful and those who are rich. And the same tongue shows contempt for the poor, demonstrating to the entire world that things in the church work just like they do out there in society, right? That money will, will buy you position. That money will buy you influence, right? That money will get you places. And all you have to do if you want to be an officer in the church, all you have to do if you want to be an elder is just grease the skids. Just give enough money in the tithe bucket, and before you know it, you're going to be calling the shots like you do out there in the world, right? And all of this because of who you are in the world. Well, who you are in the world, ladies and gentlemen, doesn't mean a hill of beans in the kingdom of God. And you're not allowed to apply these judgments in the church. The New Testament is, is very realistic. The writers of the New Testament understood what was going on. Okay? The writers of the te- New Testament knew that there's, there's Jew and there's Greek and there's slave and there's free and there are men and there are women and there are people of different economic strata. They knew all that. The Bible recognizes that these things exist in the world, but the Bible also says that these things shouldn't exist in Christ, Right? These differences don't exist or shouldn't exist in the church. Jesus didn't object to greatness in the kingdom of God. He just said it's it's achieved a different way than it is in the world, right? He says, if you want to be great in the kingdom of God, get on your knees. If you want to be great in the kingdom of God, roll up your sleeves and serve, right? If you want to be great in the kingdom of God, get in the back of the line, and he will exalt you. He'll put you at the front of the line in his good time eventually when you've learned every lesson you need to learn on the way up to the front of the line, right? But that's how greatness is achieved, right? So we're not not attempting in the church to wave some sort of magic wand and make the world all level and equal. We recognize distinctions. But in the church, everybody's a sinner. In the church, everybody recognizes their need for Jesus, Everybody recognizes that before the throne of God, the only reason they can stand and not wither at his sight is because they're covered in Jesus' blood. That's the way it is. That's the way it needs to be. And if you're pretending anything else with your tongue, if you're flattering some and showing contempt for others, James says, knock it off. All right? So that's the third characteristic of an untrained tongue. Okay? First one was, it's quick to speak. The second one is that it speaks what it has heard. It knows how to parrot it. It knows how to speak Christianese, but it doesn't do what it's saying. The body's not doing what the tongue is saying. And the third characteristic of the untamed tongue is that it flatters folks and it makes worldly judgments. Now, I want you to turn with me. I got spiders all over up here. It's kind of funny. I want you to turn with me um, to the uh, chapter that I began reading. I want you to turn with me to chapter 3. Chapter 3, where I started reading before we even prayed. James says in verse 7, he says, For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and creature of the sea, is tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no man can tame the tongue. It is an unruly evil, full of deadly poison. 
okay? And, and, and this is central. This is central, and this is something I'm going to come back to a little bit later. But no man, no woman, no boy, no girl can tame the tongue. You can't do it. You can't tame the tongue by yourself. You can't, you can't make a New Year's resolution and do it on your own, all right? No man can tame his speech, but God can, all right? God can. What's impossible with man is possible with God. And let me read on here. Let me just continue a bit, okay? Beginning at verse 9. With it we bless our God and Father, and with it we curse men who've been made in the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceed blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring set forth fresh water and bitter from the same opening? Can a fig tree, my brethren, bear olives, or a grapevine bear figs? Thus no spring yields both salt water and fresh. So the fourth characteristic of an untamed tongue, James tells us in this book, is that it's hypocritical, all right? We praise God, and we curse men, and we move from one to the other in a heartbeat. We move from one to the other in the same breath. And some may say, hey, there's, there's a warrant. There, there is biblical cursing laid out for us in Scripture. I can give you an example, and I'd argue, yes, you can. I can, too. We can look at the book of Galatians and we see Paul cursing those, right, who are false teachers. So we have, but, but this isn't the type of cursing that James is talking about here in this book that bears his name. James is saying that all men are made in the image of God and that we're to be treating our adversary and our opponents with dignity based on this fact, based on this very fact, all right? Even if that image is smeared by sin, even if that image is smeared by their rebellion, all right, we have to bring a certain amount of dignity to the table. We're not allowed to be hypocritical, even if they're in sin. This has to be stopped. Now, moving on to chapter 4, all right? Turn with me to chapter 4 and look at verse 2. James says, You lust and do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight in war yet you do not have because you do not ask. He says you do not have because you do not ask. So the fifth characteristic, and those of you who are melting are going to be happy to know that I'm only going to give you nine. So we're almost halfway through. Anyway, the fifth characteristic of the untamed tongue is that it's prayerless. Okay? It's prayerless. Now, the first the first um, characteristic of the untamed tongue that I gave you was that it's quick to speak, right? It's quick to speak. But there are times that this, that this same untamed tongue is, is slow to speak. And, and one such occasion in particular is when that tongue is before the presence of God, okay? That tongue has all kinds of things to say in a social situation. And when it gets before the presence of God, it has absolutely nothing to say. Nothing in regard to Thanksgiving, nothing in regard to petitions, nothing at all. He says here, you do not have because you do not ask. Prayerlessness is evidence that the tongue is not disciplined. If the tongue is disciplined, it's going to be slow to speak in certain situations. But in other situations, it's required to speak. You know, and I'm not just talking about, I'm not just talking here about prayerlessness before God. I'm talking about social situations and circumstances as well. Okay, we all know what it's like to go to a party, a Fourth of July party maybe yesterday around the pool or a Christmas party or some function at somebody's house, 
and there's someone there, and they just talk all the time. They're talking, talking, talking. Nobody can get a word in edgewise. Um, oftentimes it's a woman. Many times it's not. I'm a talker, right? So I can fall into this category of, of sin. But everybody gets in their car after they leave the party, and what do they do on the way home? They talk about the person who talked all the time, all right? That's what they, that's what they do. Well, the person who doesn't say a word at the party has an undisciplined tongue as well. And you know what I'm talking about. You know what it looks like. They're standing off in a corner. Nobody wants to approach him because it's easier to get a word out of a shower curtain rod than it is out of the person who's standing over there in the corner. It's just, it's just painful. It's uncomfortable to even try them, draw them out, and, and you just can't. Well, this is the result of an undisciplined tongue as well. If, if you're putting the other person first, which is what we always want to do, remember greatness in the kingdom of God means setting your own desires aside, not worrying about what you want to share, what you have to tell, what your boy did, what your girl did, but looking at the other person as you're approaching them in a social situation and trying to figure out what they may need to hear, what words of encouragement, what efficacious speech you can bring to bear so that you can build that person up in the faith, build that person up in Christ, Right? So don't think that because you're shy, you have this thing licked and you can tune out of the sermon because you never say a word anyway, right? The disciplined tongue knows when to speak and the disciplined tongue knows when to shut up, all right? But James says here, you do not have because you do not ask. So we know that the disciplined tongue, according to James, is a prayerless tongue. All right, now, moving on down to verse 11 of chapter 4. James says, come now, you who say today or tomorrow we'll go to such and such a city and spend a year there, buy and sell and make a profit, whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. But now you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. Okay? So... So the seventh characteristic of an untamed tongue is that it boasts in a fleshly way, okay? Imagine yourselves driving down a country road, okay? I'm sure you've done this before. You've driven down a country road, driven, driven down 1010 every, every Sunday for the last few weeks. And imagine looking out to the right side and you see a mist and a vapor there hanging in a low-lying ditch, all right? It's just a mist. And you look out to the left side of your window and there under a tree, there's, there's another bit of vapor and, and a mist hanging out over there. Now, have you, have you ever thought of those two mists as competing, competing with each other to see which one's bigger, all right? To see which one is lovelier in its shape, to see which one is stronger and can, and can last the longest when the, when the sun comes out. Have you ever been tempted to just pull your car off the road and just look at the two of them and see which one is going, to, is, is going to last longer. Have you done that? Of course not. Why? Because who cares, right? Who cares which one can last longer? Who cares which one is prettier? Who cares which one is bigger, right? It's mist. It's vapor. It's, it's going away. And it's going away quickly, quickly. Well, James says, this is what we are. James says, this is your life. You know, one, of the most awesome, one of the most awesome things about the Bible is that it doesn't flatter us. I remember going through um, a series on the disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. I had uh, 12 sermons for the 12 disciples. And we all left thinking, what a bunch of blockheads. 
And yet, you know, you know, really used by God, cracked vessels, absolutely cracked and broken vessels that God used to do amazing things. But if we're, if we're wise, we realize that, that that's us, that we'd be no wiser than any of the disciples if we lived in Jesus' day and saw all those miracles and heard his teaching. Um, we're the same. We're, we're fallen sinners. Well, James says here, our lives are like a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes. This is what we are. This is what we are collectively as we gather together. We build our empires, we build our businesses, we build our homes, we build our families, we take dominion over the backyard, we do all these things. And at the end of the day, the sun comes out and we're, and we're vapor. The only things that are ever going to last, that are gonna last forever, are the word of God and the people who love God's word. Those are the things that will, will last forever. And any one of us here, any one of us here could end up in the hospital tomorrow. I gotta tell you something real quick. On Friday afternoon at 4.30, I got a call from, my, uh, from uh, my family. And my nephew, who's 27 years old, real healthy kid, just married last year. I married him in Indianapolis, Indiana. They were over on Bald Head Island. He was in a pool. They were playing a game to see who could swim back and forth in one breath the longest. And his shallow water drowned. Um, he's 27 years old. Now, he was revived. He was resuscitated. I should have told you that first. He was resuscitated, right? He was resuscitated after six minutes. They couldn't find a pulse. And it just so happens a cardiologist who didn't intend to go to the pool at all, who's a Christian, felt prompted to take his family down there. And he was there and he used the paddles of life on my, on my nephew. But none of us know what tomorrow holds. None of us know what this afternoon holds. None of us know if by the end of the week, one of us that's gathered here today is going to be laid out on a, on a stone-cold slab in a mortuary, and two days later, our bodies will be lowered into the ground until God raises them again on that last day. We don't know what tomorrow holds. So the question becomes, or James asks, why do you act like you do? Why do you talk all the time about the plans you're making and the business you're building and what you're going to do next week? And I'm not saying don't plan, but the attitude in our minds when we stand before the sovereign one, the one who controls all things, ought to be, if you will, Lord, or Lord, help me to accomplish this. But we refuse to bring God into play in this, in this thing. And so James says, don't do it as we make our plans. Now, here we go. All right. Turn with me to chapter five. We're in chapter five. This is great. Chapter five, beginning in verse nine. James says, do not grumble against one another, brethren, lest you be condemned. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. Do not grumble. And you may have a legitimate complaint, right? You may have a legitimate gripe. I'm not saying there's not a problem at the office, or there's not a problem in the home, or there's not a problem with the repairman, or there's not a problem with your boss. On a worldly level, you absolutely have a right to grumble. But so... Um, but you can't avoid this grumbling, not because vengeance is wrong, but because vengeance isn't ours. It's the Lord's. And I got to tell you something about grumbling here. You know, I preached a sermon last week up in Annapolis, Maryland, and it was on biblical child rearing. And we talked about the five things you can never afford to subsidize, the five things you always have to get after in the home. They're not the only five things, right? There are 105 things. But five things you can never afford to subsidize. Um, one of them was grumbling. It was, it was grumbling, it was disobedience, it was disrespect, it was lying, and it was self-righteousness. So those were the five things I preached on. But when I talked about grumbling last week, I mentioned the fact that this is a sin that's learned. This is a sin that's learned, and it's learned at a young age. And God hates it. 
God hates it. We tend to think of, of grumbling as something that's, eh, on the, on the list of sins and the priorities of sins, it's, it's down a ways. But any kind of grumbling, right, is thanklessness before the throne of God. It's rebellion before God. Look how God treated the children of Israel for their grumbling and complaining when they crossed the Red Sea, right? Whole generation had to be wiped out. They had to wander around in circles for 40 years because of their grumbling and, and their kiping and their complaining and their fretsing and gretsing or whatever you call it, wringing their hands, that kind of a thing. But my point is that this is a learned behavior, right? And kids learn their lessons well. They learn them in the high chair, right? Dad gets home from work, and there's an awful lot to moan about, right? I didn't like my commute. I didn't like the traffic. I don't like my boss. I don't like my job. I don't like my paycheck. So Johnny's just sitting there in the high chair at 11 months listening to Dad um, spouting off, and then Mom starts in. And mom doesn't like the load of laundry, and mom doesn't like the fact that Johnny didn't take his nap, and mom doesn't like the fact that she doesn't have a friend unloading washer, and she doesn't like the fact that she doesn't have a double oven, and she doesn't like her boss, she doesn't like her husband half of the time either. So Johnny's sitting there in the high chair at 11 months old, and he said, well, I'm not sure I like my bosses either. I think I would like parents that weren't quite so strict, right? I think I don't like sitting in this high chair. I think I'm going to complain and, and gretz a little bit while I'm in here and start kicking my legs and, and throw a fit. I, I, I don't like my toys. It's not the newest one. Anyway, we really have to be on our guard against this. James says it, and this is stated all over Scripture. Well, we're almost done. We are almost done. This is the last one. I want you to look with me at verse 12, chapter 5, verse 12. But above all, my brethren, and you see how he just keeps weaving the subject of the tongue into other subjects that he has. And I'm only giving you nine this morning. I actually have 12, but I was thinking about the barn and the heat and everything else. So I'm giving you nine, but this is the, this is the last one. Chapter 5, verse 12. But above all, my brethren, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or with any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no, no, lest you fall into judgment. Okay? Two points here. First of all, the untamed tongue, the unbridled tongue, swears by creation. It swears by what's created, right? It swears on a stack of Bibles, right? It pinky swears. It crosses its heart and hopes to die. It swears to God. I swear to God. I swear to God. It does all those things. Well, James tells us we're not to be, we're not to be taking our O's by anything that has been created, anything that was spoken into existence, not by earth, which is God's footstool, or by heaven, which is his throne. Don't do it. We can take O's. And we can take them in Jesus' name, but we need to be careful when we take them because they are O's, all right? We can't abuse his name. Now, now, why do people do this? Have you ever wondered that? Why do people do this? Why do people swear on a stack of Bibles? Why do people say, I swear to God, I swear to God? Why do people pinky swear and cross their heart and hope to die? Well, because the tongues of unbridled people need reinforcement, Right? Their speech needs buttressing because in the past, their yes hasn't been yes and their no hasn't been no. And so they need to resort to, all, resort to all kinds of things that God hates in order to buttress their speech or bolster their speech. And James says, don't do it. And you know, a good place to practice this, letting your yes be yes and your no be no, is in the home. And this is one of the places where it most gets violated. And you know what, it, you know what it's like, mom. Because you just get ground down by the request. It's 5 o'clock. Dad's coming home at 5.30. Dinner's going to be on the table at 6. 
So Johnny, I feel sorry for Johnny, because it's always Johnny, right? Johnny's grumbling in the high chair, and Johnny's coming to mom and, and messing with mom. But Johnny comes in, and he says, I'm hungry. Can I have something to eat? And mom says, what? Mom says, no, because you're going to spoil your supper. We're eating in an hour. Two minutes later, Johnny comes in. I'm really hungry. Can I please have something to eat? Mom says, no. He comes back again. It's no. He comes back the fourth time. What is it? It's well, okay, right? It's yes, right? And the same thing happens with dad. Dad, can you play with me? No, I'm on a phone call. I just need to finish this up, and I'll get with you. I promise we'll play before dinner. Ten minutes later, he comes back. Dad, are we playing or not? Yes, we are. I just need to finish this. I promise. I promise we'll play. Something comes up. Twenty minutes later, mom calls you to dinner. Son's sitting at the table looking at dad. What happened? Our yeses need to be yes, and our noes need to be no. We need to be people of our word. And other, others need to be able to take our yeses and our noes to the bank, right? But the unbridled tongue needs reinforcement. Now we have a, <laughs> we have a pretty full plate here, don't we, people? You know, we got to be asking ourselves, you know, just in regard to our tongues, do I, do I speak more than I, I listen? Am I always the first to offer an opinion? Am I, am I too swift to, to speak? Do I, do I talk more Christianity than I actually live? Do I sound better than I live? Do I flatter others in hopes of getting something for myself and at the same time show contempt for the poor? Am I hypocritical? Am I quick to criticize and, and condemn somebody before the throne of God and then in the same breath offer praise to him even on the way into church, running someone into the ground all the way over here and then boom, rise with me for the call to worship? Am I prayerless? Do I, do I boast in some sort of ridiculous, vaporous way? Do I grumble about what God has brought into my life? Do I grumble about mornings? Do I grumble about Monday mornings, especially? Well, who made Monday? Who made Monday morning? Hmm? Do I swear by created things? Do I swear in order to get people to believe my speech? And you got to say at the end of a sermon like this, well, who's sufficient for this, right? I think I'm just going to take a a vow of silence just to keep myself out of most of the troubles that he's, that he's talked about today. Well, let me take you back to James chapter 3 as an encouragement and remind you that what's impossible for men, right, is possible with God, okay? If you're a new creature, if you've been regenerated, then you have a new heart, right? You following me? And that heart is connected to your tongue, so, so be hopeful in this, right? Ask God to help you. He's given you the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, right? Self-control. One of the best indicators of how you're doing before the throne of God is how you speak, and that's convicting. It's actually convicting for me. It's convicting for me as well. Listen, and, and you're going to fail, but when you fail, do what we already did this morning, right? If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So you're going to fail. You obviously will. 
We need God. We need his grace every moment of every day. Cast yourself on him. Confess your sins. He's faithful and just to forgive you your sin. But confessing your sin to God may not be the only person that you need to confess to. If you've been slaughtering people left and right with your tongue through the week, there's probably someone else you need to go to as well. And James addresses that here. In chapter 5, verse 16, he says, Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. So there you go. It's a tall order. It's a tall order. But by God's grace, we can do it. Day by day, we're being transformed more and more into the image of his son. So take heart. You're his. He loves you. He's given you a spirit. We can do this. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for your word. And I pray that you would be with us this week as we, as we seek to serve you in what we say and in what we do. Father, I pray that you would bless us and keep us. In Jesus' name, amen.